Hello and welcome to the Can We Just Ask podcast. I'm Annie. And I'm Will. And today's conversation is a live panel discussion that we recorded at the Tom store in London. We asked the question, why are women still paying for their sex? As ever, we've got a really, really interesting panel of four guests who introduced themselves at the start of the episode. And all of the ticket money made from this event is going to our charity partner, The Mix, who provide essential support to under 25 year olds. Our conversations are always based around both personal and professional experience. So if any of the stories you hear do affect you, please do get in touch with someone professional who might be able to help and the mix are a great place to start. If you want to continue the conversation, you can get in touch with us. We're at Can We Just Ask on all social media. And if you love this episode, please do give us a rating and a review on whatever platform you're listening to on. It makes a huge difference and we'd really appreciate it. In this episode, we're talking about women's choice. That is choice over their own bodies, the choices given to them through education and the way that sex, sexual health and women's bodies are viewed within society. We also discuss how to be inclusive in the way that we have these conversations, which I think is really important for um, getting everybody involved and actually creating positive change. So we hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Absolutely. And so without further ado, let's get into the conversation. This is Can We Just Ask, Why Are Women Still Paying For Their Sex? The only way you create change is by standing up and campaigning for those things you care for. If we hold ourselves individually to hire a cat, the world would be a better place. For me, communication is, is the key to absolutely everything. How can we all save the what world? it means to be a man or indeed a human. There's no such thing as a stupid question. The Can We Just Ask podcast starts conversations that matter. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. My name's Annie and this is Will and we're really pleased to be here with all of you this evening. Thank you to Tom's for hosting us all in this wonderful space which makes for a really lovely intimate discussion. So without any further ado uh, we want our panellists to first of all introduce themselves to you to set a bit of context and a little bit about the work they what they do. Hello, yourself? hi, I'm Sarah Kayat. I'm a GP, but I have a sexual health and reproductive health special interest. Um, I work in a GP practice in, in London, um, and I think my main cohort of patients are probably young females, um, so I get a lot of people coming in with, with queries, questions, worries, and I think that's where... Um, I hopefully will thrive in this bit. <laughs> um, hi, my name is Faima. Uh, I'm a lifestyle journalist for Metro.co.uk. Um, I've written um, articles on various topics, but um, women's issues is a personal interest of mine. Um, one of my top articles last year was entitled, um, It's Not Women's Responsibility to Make Men Better Human Beings. And it's not. <laughs> and that was just based off on Mac Miller's death and uh, Ariana Grande being blamed for his mental health issues. Hello, I'm Grace Hazel and I am a women's sexual healing coach and I also go by the name of Vagina Witch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I work with women who are experiencing um, sexual health issues and I support them to look at uh, what they're experiencing in a more holistic way um, and guide them to come back to a form of liberation that's true for them. Hi, my name is Milou Dalen and I'm a journalist and um, I call myself an activist and a feminist, of course. And I write uh, a lot about feminism subjects, topics. And I'm the only Dutch one or the only not English one, so my English is not great. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's what I do. 
And if anyone's listened to our previous episode, they'll know that Milu's English is very good. But I think to open up um, and perhaps provide a little more context on the conversation, um, and actually to pick up on the conversation that we were having with Milu in our last episode, do you think women have full control over their own bodies? And if not, why? Or can you give any examples from your work or your personal experience to suggest one way or the other? I would say no. Um, I think we like to, I mean, you know, in 21st century in the West, I'd like to believe that we're full autonomous human beings. But I think if, you know, the law or the media is anything to go by and you see what's going on, whether it's gender pay, there's gender pay gap, abortion laws, um, in one way or another, we are, we sort of quite quickly get the rug from like, you know, taken from under us quite quickly. So even though to some extent we are autonomous, it can quite quickly be taken away from us too. I have a different answer, which is a small scale answer. And because of the work that I do, my work is supporting women to actually reclaim their bodies. And whilst on more of a societal space, no, we don't. I do believe that we can access space to reclaim our bodies and have control over our bodies. Personally, I like to have that faith. I think we probably do have the ability to have control over ourselves, but I think um, in especially in healthcare, we often give our control to other people, to the doctors, to the specialists, because we think that they're the ones that you know have have the knowledge, and, and you know quite rightly, you know, a lot of the time they do. But I think in in the concepts of things like contraception, for example. Um, you know, in med school, all of these times, I've, we've always been taught you have to take the contraceptive pill for 21 days, seven day break. And it's because you have to have a period. It's only been very recently that those rules have changed. And that's because we found out that the reason that that was put in place was because uh, we were trying to get the pill uh, approved by the Vatican. And the Vatican, um, we thought would only allow it if women still had their monthly period. Oh, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't know. And, <laughs> yeah, and so we thought that that's why um we'll we'll put that through. We'll we'll see if the Vatican say yes. They still said no, mind you. But it then still stuck that we had to have this 7-day break. We don't need that 7-day break. You can double back the pill of the rules and now you can do it four times over and everything will be fine. But it all started based on what we thought a male you know, a high male figure would approve for us. And that's something that stuck for such a long time. Wow. Oh Is that so with contraception, I guess, when, when we're talking about having control over uh, our own bodies and women have control over women's bodies, is that... Is, is it something around uh, the lack of education over what the choices are then? And, and in your work, especially, I suppose, Sarah, um, is that changing in terms of the education that's now happening over what choices women have? Or is that still the archaic relying on the Vatican system? Um, I think it, it's getting there. The fact that actually now uh, doctors are being told that you can tell your patients to double back your pill is as a step forward that it's taken 20 odd years to get to that point is surprising. Um, I think women are starting to c- take control of their bodies a little bit more now, which is which is amazing. Um, and it means that actually there are these incredible um, groups like Get the Lowdown and, and these other kind of websites and things where you can get peer, peer-led peer advice as well about contraceptives and things like that. So it's not only just, you know, what your doctor says, which 
um, you know, it's really weird being a doctor and telling you all not to listen to the doctor. But, uh, <laughs> but it's more that we actually know our bodies as individuals so much more than someone that you're speaking to knows that your body. And you, as long as you've got the knowledge about what to tell them, actually, you know, I'm getting these side effects. I've tried this. This doesn't work. Then, then your doctor can help you. But I think a lot of women need to start taking control of their own bodies in order to be able to give that information out to someone else because unless you're talking about it and you're open about how you feel about your body and and you know how contraceptives are making you feel the doctor's just going to keep on signing that same prescription I'd also like to add in around contraceptives just because I think it's a really big subject and um, I know a lot of women that I work with and speak to don't actually want to be on contraception anymore because of the side effects on their body and a way that we can actually empower ourselves to bring it back to again being in control is by following our cycle and being really really in tune with where we're at with our cycle and that doesn't have to be a woo-woo thing it's really being um, you know you can take your temperature you can get apps on this now to know the days that you're ovulating to know the days that you're fertile and those would be the days that you wouldn't have sex um, and allow someone to ejaculate inside of you and so we can start to is it really true sorry i'm not a doctor at all but i'm reading so many articles in that new page or don't trust it because it's not yeah it's not you, you you shouldn't trust it so I don't, I don't know anything about it. But. Yeah, I believe it to be true. Yeah. Um, and I also feel if we look at contraception, that's not always 100% certain. No, yeah, yeah. So we that's know my that, belief. So yeah. it's a 97% um, uh, efficacy for a natural planning if you do it properly. So it takes a lot of effort. It's more effort than just popping a pill every day, granted. But if you're willing to put that effort in, take your temperature, take your pulse, um, plot it, it's 97% effective, wow. which is, is actually pretty good given mm. that the contraceptive pill, if you take it in you know the right way, is 99%. Yes, it's still more, but um, it just takes a lot more uh, self-involvement. But actually, yeah. as you said, sometimes it's just really good to know about your own body and know yeah. what your cervical mucus is like and all the other kind <laughs> yeah. of fun bits. Yes. But it's, it's important. <laughs> yeah. It's your body. You should know. Yeah. yeah. Also, there's side effects, isn't there? Like some women can't, it affects their mental health, it affects their moods, you know, how their daily life. And I think men, you know, in the medical field and other fields as well have controlled the narrative for so long. I think as long as, the way I think they see it is as long as it's not killing the woman, it's fine. But really it's not. There's so many conditions that women have, whether it's PCOS or endometriosis. I can never say that word. Um, Yeah, um, stuff like that. Like even when I got diagnosed with um, PCOS, that's polycystic ovarian syndrome, my doctor told me he was an old, uh, old man and he just said to me, I said, you know, how can I treat this? What should I do? Literally all he said to me was, yeah, you can try and get thin that's literally what he said and they they like a sort of you know sensitivity and understanding and also that's just like bullshit advice because imagine i had imagine i had an eating disorder or something like that something like that could be very triggering to hear my doctor said get thin so i'm not going to eat anymore that's not helping anybody advice like that so i think um not just in the medical field you know just generally i think a lot of men need to understand that just because it's not hurting a woman doesn't mean that it's not something that's you know not important i think i i I would agree with that um to to an extent but i would it's it's, perhaps it makes the conversation then difficult to open it up to people if we're saying um, men need to do this and i appreciate there is there's a there is a level where um and from personal experience it comes from and i'm not not saying it's okay but it comes from a, a 
a place of ignorance in that unless unless it's in front of you it's hard to to realize what the actual impact is and then i feel like conversations and education and talking about it is actually the best way to change that as opposed to separating and putting people in one side or the other perhaps and actually Milu, some of work you did with contraception was speaking to your sexual partners yeah. um, and talking to them about the cost that you and, had to physically really, pay. Uh, yeah. yeah, in Holland you have an uh, app and it calls Tiki. Do you know it? No, okay. Maybe you have the <laughs> similar here and it's like you, you send a WhatsApp to someone and uh, with a bank account transfer. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. And then you push your uh, the, the button and then it's transferred one year ago or hmm, I don't know when and I thought hmm, this is so weird I'm taking the contraceptive for so many years and all my all, all my um, male bed partners they never talked about splitting the costs and that's I think that is weird because I was paying for it for a pretty long time and my boyfriend I was with him three years and he never never came up like oh should I pay the half not only for the money but just for the also for the symbolizing. Yeah. And then I decided to send all my male bed partners a, a tiki. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And some of them were like just one night stands. And I was like, oh, do I still have their number? And, uh, <laughs> and then I just said in the, like the, 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 the small, I, I just wrote, oh yeah, yeah our contraceptive cost and some of them were paying for it and I, I was really some of them I sent an amount of 12 euro because we had a lot of sex and some of them <laughs> yeah I made it really easy for them and some of them like one euro because yeah it was only a short time or five minutes no no I'm kidding no, no. <laughs> like I made a no no, no I'm kidding and uh, then and some of them were like oh well I never thought about it and that's the whole point mm -hmm. that yeah. men don't have to think about it and some of them like they, they didn't answer and some of them were saying huh, but that night I bought us fries and a beer <laughs> I was like oh you don't get the point <laughs> and then I wrote an article about it and it uh, was picked yeah. up pretty well yeah, yeah. so yeah. good <laughs> what do you think about the male contraceptive Phil Sorry? have you ever have you ever thought about male contraceptives yeah, yeah. like what are your thoughts on that and, and the male was or yeah i always ask men or not always but sometimes i ask men yeah are you like would you take it no because all all the things that can happen to your body i'm yeah. like whoa that's <laughs> can't relate yeah, yeah. Having that, so many women have that. yeah what do you think I about think it my, my question about this was yeah. if, if you were uh, in a relationship with a partner and uh, the the male was taking the contraceptive pill would you be happy to then not um take the pill or or um do uh, use contraception on your side of things would you be happy to put that responsibility in the man's hands yeah because they're putting their responsibility we were they're, yeah. we're doing the same but i think so... where, where that comes from is that yeah, the, yeah, the, 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 yeah. the the outcome isn't equal because um unwanted pregnancies um etc putting stis aside perhaps but um, in terms of who has to face immediately to the to the short term yeah. uh, outcome, and I'm not saying that's fair. I just mean the physical outcome is not equal. Mm. And so, would you then be happy if the male contraceptive pill was uh, effective and useful to then put that in the hands of men? I actually did a, a poll on this, an mm. Insta poll, exactly on that question, oh, cool. and um, so the majority, something like eighty percent, said they wouldn't trust the male because uh, the onus of the responsibility would be upon them if they decided not to. But what's really strange is that the male contraceptive pill has been in well 
it's eff- effective that we we have a pill essentially but every time it's gone through um trials the men have complained of side effects that are intoler- intolerable which include skin changes mood changes <laughs> bloating like sound familiar so these are all things and so it never got through to the next stages of um of, of, of trials but it is there and it's ready but most women won't use it and i actually think this is a really really interesting point because um we we're talking essentially about choice and control of women's bodies and handing that over to somebody else is actually placing control of your body in your partner's hand again and Mm. I'm assuming that most women would only rely on that if they were in a uh, relationship where they felt um, in a trusting relationship Mm. but to place that in you know it's just a really interesting thing because it's very easy to sort of to laugh and say well we you know those are the things that women have had to put up with all of this time but actually when we put that onto somebody else it is giving away control of the potential impact on our bodies regardless of the result of pregnancy if he doesn't want to be a father he will take the pill. Right? Yes, yeah, for sure. We, I just yeah. think it's it's a really challenging one because it would yeah. be really great for that to be a shared responsibility. Mm. But biologically, it would be if your partner didn't take it, forgot to, whether it was deliberate or accidental, mm. it would be your body that got pregnant. Yeah. And I think that's it's just an interesting thing in this time where we're trying to reclaim power and take back control of our own bodies to then <laughs> give that away. And essentially it comes down to trust right but mm-hmm. there's there's always places for mistakes to happen or you know um so i ju- i yeah i think it's bigger than just a, a question of whether or not we trust somebody else yeah. you're right i think you know when the pill came about it was this revolutionary thing mm-hmm. to give women their own control and yeah by giving that back to uh, someone else that probably removes a lot of that control from you mm-hmm. but I think that's where trust and kind of building up the relationships between shared owners is probably so important and choice right yeah. and this is yeah. you know and this is really what we're what we're here to talk about tonight is choice so the more available options that they are the more empowered yeah. we are to make choices that suit us as individuals rather than um, a collective choice that has been sort of put on us which isn't necessarily a choice. Because I know some of my <clears throat> friends, they, it's, the, the contraceptive it is making them really sick. And they're like, oh, why, is there, why isn't there another option or a good option for me? And the boyfriends are like, yeah, come with a pill. I will take it. So well, yeah, I think it will save so many. Maybe soon they can. Yeah. <laughs> would you trust? No, no, not trust. That's not the big word. Would, I think, no, no, because of course, or I hope you trust your boyfriend. But yeah. Would you? <laughs> sorry. But would you... I think I I think I probably would but I think that's my I think that's my (laughs) do you not think I would (laughs) we won't go there but I I think I probably would but again that's that's my choice and I guess it's it's the you know it's working out what's right for you and the life stages that you are and that kind of thing and the different you know things that you that you want and don't want and and how important things are to you so I guess it's it's totally individual Um, and actually at one uh, there might be one time in a relationship with the same person that you'd feel like you would give that trust to them or that control um, and other times that you wouldn't I don't know I think it's yeah it's probably not black and white when it would be a yeah I agree and uh, but when I would be a boy and have a one-night stand I would I wouldn't trust the, the girl or the boy 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes the guys aren't even asking and we did it without condom. I'm like, you, you, maybe I'm pregnant. Maybe I want to be a mom and you're my victim. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, right? If you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter. So I feel like do you think that stems from that, that inequality of what the outcome is again and, and the fact that um, it's, it's not necessarily in the forefront of men's mind because they don't have to deal with that and I'm not saying that's right that's okay but do you think that that a lot of those problems actually stem from the fact that um for men perhaps it seems as it seems like a a, 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 a one-off act and the outcome isn't necessarily going to be that impactful on you obviously if you're moral and have any sort of emotion then you might realize that that what, what the outcome is but it's harder to relate to that if it doesn't physically affect you yeah, I mean, same as anything, like, you know, women don't really know that much about prostates or, you know, how we would test for them or what the symptoms would be. Yeah, Whereas, well, <laughs> that's not a problem there. But, so I can understand that you know, about, you know, you, you, you focus on what you know and what's important to you. So I, I think yes, but it's just a matter of educating. So with things like prostate, there's Movember and everyone knows about it. And so there just needs to be more of those general campaigns and movements mm. to teach everyone about everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it feels like a good time to open up to the audience. So have we got any questions? Uh, talking about the contraceptive app and natural cycles, I'd quite like to hear a little bit more about your opinion on that because I think um, there's just huge mixed reviews about some people loving it, some people hating it. And it's meant to empower you, right? It's meant to make you know when you're due on, when you're going to be moody, when your skin's going to break out. But actually... Some people that I've had have gone on it have ended up pregnant and not wanted to be pregnant. So that's not really empowering them. Um, so I'd love to discuss that a little bit further. I mean, I, yeah. I don't Sorry. think, I don't, <laughs> it's definitely not a method to use if getting pregnant would be a disaster for you. That is, you know, straight out there. It's it's not right for you if getting pregnant would be horrendous. Um, and that's just because some people don't have the same kind of regular cycles as, you know, not everyone has a 28-day cycle. Not everyone follows the exact rules of, you know, how our bodies are meant to function. And so, yes, for some people, it, it can go very wrong. Um, for, for the majority of people, um, as I said, it's it's it is quite effective, but you have to sit there and you have to feel your mucus and you have to think, oh, is this quite thick today? Is this thin today? You have to take your temperature. You have to you know log all your moods and all of these kind of things. And some people enjoy that and want to know all about their bodies, and and that might be a really good stepping stone for them to get in getting into that form of contraception. But yeah, don't do it if, if pregnancy is a disaster. Mm. Don't. <laughs> well, what, what worries me is then when I see influencers on Instagram then promoting that and promoting the app, that what that's what really worries me. Because then if you're a young teenager or you think, oh, yeah, this is a, the perfect contraception for me because so-and-so that I follow and I really like mm-hmm. um, is using it, and then they then, then go and get pregnant. So mm. I think this is also a kind of a greater... Um, conversation because that's actually much more to do with the way that we view the things that we see online Mm -hmm. I think actually sharing things and educating people about the choices that they have is a real positive thing but where there's a problem is the way in which they're translated to how people then use them and how they jump onto um, the bandwagon and I think as Sarah said before so much of this become comes down to um, the commitment of the user to use it effect, uh, in order for it to maximise 
effectiveness. What I believe, especially for sex educators, especially in women's sexuality, is to never say this is the only way. Mm. This is all that you should do. It's always to say this is an option, but here are um, here's what could happen, and here are some other options. What sits with you as a woman in your body the best, and go from that place of choice. Yeah, I also just going on that as well. I think parents have a duty of care to their children as well. Like, obviously, your ch- kids are going to consume what they want to consume, and they're going to be influenced by influences because that's their job. Um, but I think parents should be having those conversations at home. Like, you can't really rely on the likes of an Instagram blogger to teach your children about sex or consent or contraception. That should be happening at home. It should be happening in schools. And I think it's not enough just to, you know, be in year six and you get a chat about periods and it's segregated. That's not sex education. That's not, you know, equal. I think it has to happen together. It has to be thorough. It has to be comprehensive. I think it has to be continued in the home as well. We can't let youngsters just learn from the internet, from porn, from influencers, whatever it is. I think greater conversations needed. I agree with you. And I think that also, whilst you say about the sex education in schools, I think that actually sex education and education about relationships and how to relate with other human beings well should also be brought into the school system. We're taught about maths and English and all of that, which is amazing, great. But but how, how are we taught how to have sex and how to relate with other human beings? That's what we do, right? That's what we're mainly doing in life. And so the education needs to come forth into schools. And I agree with you also within the way that um, we're being brought up. But unfortunately, some people can't get access to that within their families. So if we can bring it into school education, it's way better for for accessibility. Mm -hmm. I I suppose that the the issue with Instagram influencers perhaps is there's a lack of accountability. So uh, Mm -hmm. there's no real way of controlling what someone says. If someone wants to get paid to promote something, then no one's necessarily going to hold them to account. But I suppose that's also the, the problem with having these conversations online and with the internet is that there's no accountability. So I, I, I know that um, a few of you have, um, uh, Fabi, you've written articles, Mila, you've written articles as well, but about these conversations and the response you've had, some of it has been quite aggressively against what you've maybe said or put forward. And I guess that also comes from the lack of accountability over what people say on the internet. And do you think that stops people from wanting to have these conversations? the fear of what the response is going to be, the fear of being um, chastised or abused online and uh, having people give you their opposing opinion quite aggressively in the other direction. Yeah, I think so, for sure. Yeah, because I get so many negative reactions because I'm a woman and I'm talking about sex. Mm. So then you have negative reaction for sure or dick pics or I don't know, whatever they are sending you. (laughs) Um, And with the ticky action I just told you, People were saying, whoa, she's a, a hoe because she's asking uh, money for sex. And, and I get like, I got like hundreds of messages. And I really think that that stops people from talking over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have friends who were saying to me, yeah, I want to speak out, but I'm, I'm scared mm-hmm. for the reactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah think- I see it in my, uh, in my, if I look at my friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not fun to receive all those messages. So mm-hmm. I really understand that. 
I think as yeah. a, as a woman on the internet with an opinion, yeah. you're gonna get trolled. Yeah, doesn't matter yeah. how controversial or inoffensive it is. <clears throat> someone's some someone's gonna have a comment to make um about that. Especially as a, as a journalist, as a woman of color, yeah. I do I get get it a lot. Get a lot of racist abuse as well, um, which is um just a part a part and parcel of being a visible woman online. Um, doesn't stop me from writing about these things because you know they're still reading and I'm still getting the hits. Yeah, so. <laughs> 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 but so I don't care. <laughs> crazy that it's part of the parcel of it because that's yeah. so backwards that you have to accept that as part of your work. So, right, in order to do the work that I want to do, I have to accept that. But I don't mm-hmm. accept it, but I don't want to give them what they want. The I don't want to yeah. stop, then they would stop mm-hmm. my work. That's true. So, yeah. I don't accept it. But a couple of weeks ago, I was on a on a TV to talk about dick pics or so. And I looked on the internet and everyone, or not everyone, but many people, <laughs> and everyone on the internet, on, on, the, on Twitter, <laughs> there were a couple of men and they were only talking about, or many people were, yeah, only saying, oh yeah, she wants to have a dick in her vagina. And, and they were talking about how the, the, the way I looked and not about the, the, the things I was saying. I think yeah. you recognize that, right? Yeah, 100%. You're saying something and then they're going to say, oh, you look ugly, you're yeah. thin, you're thick, you're... I don't yeah. know what I got uh, angry, unloved feminist. Ugly, unloved feminist. Ugly, unloved Yeah, stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Because they don't want to read what you're saying. That's just, no. just reactionary. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you and just get used to it. You, yeah, things, exactly. So. You can be anyone on the internet. Most choose to be a dickhead, but... And you get, se- <laughs> <laughs> and you get sexism things and yeah, racism. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, like, yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm Muslim as well. So there's that oh, as well. Oh, Do you think it makes topics like sex, especially online, become taboo? And does that does that then make it harder for perhaps some people aren't uh, brave enough to then want to have those conversations, even to go into their GP or to go and uh, see someone to empower themselves to be able to talk about it. Does Do you find that the people you work with, Grace, maybe that they think that these topics are taboo and they find it difficult to actually open up about them and then actually attune themselves to what, what they're feeling and what they're experiencing? Yeah, most definitely. I feel that there is... Um from my perspective and what a lot of my clients tell me is that they'll find my page, they'll find my podcast, they'll start listening to it, but they'll be very triggered by the things that I'm saying. And almost to the point that they they want to not follow me anymore or they want to block me, but they'll continue to have that thing on their mind. And eventually that's when they'll contact me to start working with me. So I believe that when we're online and we're talking about these things, um, I'm very lucky and I haven't really got that much abuse for the work that I do. I don't know why. Um, And I tend to talk about quite personal things that have happened in my life around sexual abuse, sexual situations, um, abortion. And I tend to have a big uh, group of women mostly who are resonating with the things that I do. I'm sure that there's lots of people that absolutely hate it and just don't follow me. Um, but uh, <laughs> but thankfully, yeah, lots of people will see what I'm doing. They'll read and they'll just follow posts and then eventually they'll reach out because they come to a place of realizing that to talk about these subjects isn't shameful, it isn't taboo. And there's somewhere on the internet doing it really strongly. <laughs> so why can't I? Mm. Do you, Sarah, do you get that in your work as well? Do you find people struggle to 
actually talk about these things uh yeah so you get it, it comes in a bit of range you'll either get the people that come in who are quite shy who'll say oh i'm really embarrassed but and mm. they kind of come out with it you'll get other people that come in about something completely different and once you've built that rapport um they then come out as like oh actually i also have this problem um but then you'll get people i'm sure you know i'm sure obviously i won't know if they haven't come to speak to me about it but i I, i'm sure there will be people that just did you just didn't click and they just didn't feel like they could speak to you but i did a post about um on instagram about vaginismus recently and that's where you get kind of a, a clamping down of the vaginal wall muscles when anything goes in like a tampon finger anything penis um but uh essentially i did this post and i you know written about you know things you can try and how you can manage it and i got so many um messages from people who'd said that um they'd since gone to see their doctor because they were so scared about it before and hadn't known and so so many people had and that was just one of the that is that's why i love my job but um but that's education right you've given them a tool to then go and speak to someone with rather than turning up blind and not necessarily Mm -hmm. having like the language or the terminology knowing where to start yeah I think I think it's so much of it is just you know it's when it's an embarrassing subject or something that you know you're you're sensitive about you kind of need to go in there armed with something armed with like what what am I going to say how am I going to say what are the options rather than just going in there blindly and I think a lot of it is education just making sure people are aware that these symptoms exist lots of people suffer with it this is what you can do and then go And I had a similar experience when I started um, sharing online about my almost a decade of having really painful sex. That gave um, a lot of women permission to start admitting to the fact that they'd been having sexual relationships and their sex had always been painful, but they were too scared to speak up. I've been working with someone recently who'd been having painful sex all their life. And they hadn't said anything to their boyfriend because they felt that um, they just needed to have sex to keep him happy. And so in hearing that other women have painful sex, it's not just her as this strange thing that she's experiencing. Um, it, It allows people to realize that actually what they're going through doesn't have to be like that. And there are people out there that can support them to heal. Yeah, and that's actually quite a disservice to the boyfriend as well because it assumes that he's some Neanderthal that need, just needs, you know, I need sex sort of thing, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's a shame that we're not in a climate of where we women can talk about good sex, bad sex, good dates, bad dates. I think that's important as well. Um, but yeah, it's a shame because I think if we were maybe more open about it, maybe men would be more receptive um, and understanding about it. So we had, a, we had another question down here. Do you still have a question? Thanks. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, um, we've kind of touched on um, how we talk to men about these things, being worried about the reaction of men, scaring men with conversations about kind of periods and contraceptives and stuff like that. Um, I've got a lot of admiration for to Will um, for kind of chairing this panel on a subject about kind of feminism, female choice, all of that sort of thing. I guess it's a question for all of you, which is how do we include men in this conversation more in a way that is non-confrontational and actually offering an opportunity to bring men in in a positive way to help shape positive futures for women? I think it's really difficult because we don't want to be in a situation where we're like, praising men for doing the bare minimum yeah. i'm not saying that's what's happening here yeah. but just generally like you know just, <laughs> i don't want to disappoint anyone no well you're doing good work <laughs> you're doing I'm, good I'm work <laughs> no but just generally like oh you know 
men who don't rape women like you don't deserve a thumbs up you know that's just being a decent human being yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff like that but it's difficult because you don't want to alienate them like how do you get men to be involved in gender discourse it's a really difficult question um something that i struggle with as well because i have one brother and he's there's four sisters he's got four sisters so like we talk about feminism and we get really worked up about it and he's just sitting in the corner like oh god this again and i some like he's like i mean he's only 16 so naturally he's not interested in what we have to say but i do want him to get involved and i want him to grow up to be a feminist and i do wonder i do ask myself how do i get him to be interested um without sort of being like oh yeah you're lot are responsible for this you know men are terrible men are trash i don't want to be like that um so it's a really big question i don't have the answer to it, unfortunately but i guess teach them to listen that's yeah. all they can do at this point just listen and listen to understand not listen to like retaliate i think that's mm. really important yeah i think that what i see a lot is a lot of feminism that almost is anti-men and i think that's the exact opposite of what we yeah. should be doing um i'm gonna speak from a personal experience of mine most recently whereby um I've started dating someone and I do need to educate that person on my body and the way it's more on a sexual standing point and the way that I like to be touched and the fact that I don't tend to like sex that looks a little bit like pornography. And instead of saying, you did this and you touched me this way and now my vagina hurts, I just say, hey, can we talk about what happened the other night? Um, and again, it's it's addressing people in a non confrontational way um explaining your story a little bit about what is important to you for them to hear and asking them what they feel about that I sometimes explain my standing point and say what do you think about that how how have you been educated around that and that opens up that person whether that be a man or a woman to open up about what they think and what they feel and that's a conversation rather than you need to think of things this way it allows someone to have their own opinion but to open up perhaps changing um, and becoming more open-minded about that thing and I think language comes into this as well right and and one of um the things that I've been um that I've noticed about myself in all of these different conversations that we've been having is very is that I've been very aware of the language that we use um, and sitting among people typically bless you <laughs> sitting among people who have a lot more experience perhaps than I do in certain topics I've always been um, had a hesitation around making sure that my language use is correct um, so that I don't offend or um, or seem out of date um but actually i think sometimes the the um getting caught up in the language and the kind of um the traditional views and putting that onto people and 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 the assumption that that's where someone sits can really prevent us from being progressive in the conversations that we're having and actually just to open it up by being forgiving and I'm not saying that in terms of the bare minimum of being a decent human being but more in our language and in our conversation and allowing people to make mistakes because it's from that place that we can really educate ourselves and each other I think being the worst thing that we can do is separate us ourselves which is the opposite of what we're trying to achieve right um by making somebody right or wrong um or criticizing them for getting their language or or uh even for the opinions that they have and actually opening it up and making it inclusive purely through the language that we're using um 
and of course being uh then on both sides listening you know asking for someone's it happens in in reverse like asking somebody what they think about it and then listening to their side as well the more that we can as women can understand about perhaps how a man's coming to the room then the you know the better place we are to actually open that up mm. i think mm-hmm. oh yeah We've got another yeah. question oh, Hand all the up. hands are going up <laughs> Um, so, so I had a question. I really enjoyed the discussion you had about contraception because I felt that was a really good entry point to have what I felt was a constructive conversation about something I felt I could have more of an impact on in my life. Like I don't identify with Harvey Weinstein. I don't identify with like nasty online trolls. But I find it very quickly turns to a conversation about really, really big stuff that most people tend to agree on. I'd say most people I work with tend to agree that there shouldn't be a gender pay gap. Yeah, most of the meeting rooms I go into are full of white men. Mm. So it's sort of where would you guys suggest the best kind of entry points to have these types of conversations are both at an individual level in our own personal relationships, then at perhaps a slightly wider level in our professional and slightly wider circles, and then at that kind of bigger strategic societal level? I mean, I think on a personal relationship level, the entry point off something like a conversation around, would you take the male pill kind of thing yeah. works quite well because that's a kind of a nice opener and it opens up control. It opens up equality in terms of sexual equality. Um, and so I think those kind of things are quite nice. Maybe, you know, men might want to chat amongst themselves as well. I think it's really important for, for men to address things that affect them, things that affect women, to have gender discourse amongst themselves. Like, you know, feminism is seen as a a women's movement because it's women that talk about it. It's women that, you know, big up the movement. So I think if men want to be involved in the chat, men need to start chatting as well. I would would suggest that there are some forums in which men do chat. It's maybe on a different level and also chat about different things. Um, And there is as like you say a case for um what those conversations are about to shift and change yeah. and and for us to be open to conversations that maybe don't affect us directly mm-hmm. and i think to your to your question it's it's quite easy to get overwhelmed by the big conversations and the the sort of um the the societal structures and the pulling down the systems that exist which is where the conversations do lead and i think from what we've gathered from what we've done with Cameron just ask and what the conversations we've been having is it's actually much more valuable just to focus on the the small things um as as individuals at least to start with and to think about where this is going where this is going to take us how we're going to make a that huge difference is often uh not constructive because you get overwhelmed by the options and by the number of things that you could talk about and so maybe that's not a useful answer to what you're asking because because <laughs> There are loads of things that we want to talk about, but I think that focusing on the small things. So actually, your your question sort of answered itself, I think, because like you said, the the the, the thing that you could relate to was the thing was mm-hmm. the 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 small scale things that you actually understood that were more tangible rather than the intangible stuff. Yeah, to stuff. not un- yeah. underestimate the things that we put down as being small, because actually it is all those small things that you know people come comfortable with that conversation, and then it opens up. The possibility to have the next conversation if you dive in deep at the at the highest level then perhaps we feel um a lot of people feel so far removed that actually it's very easy to to just let it go mm. um but to kind of start small and and keep moving with it i also wanted to say so on the, on the previous point i, I saw a quote 
recently, I'm going to read it just so I don't get it wrong, but it was by Naomi Klein and it was people should wear their hypocrisy proudly because we need a bigger movement as possible. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of resonated with me in that um, we often tear each other down for not supporting a cause in the right way or for supporting the same cause in a different way to the way we're supporting it. And whether that's, this was particularly relating to the environmental cause, but with, with feminism or with supporting gender equality, do you think we're in danger of pulling down and tearing down the people who are essentially fighting for the same cause because they aren't doing it in the same way as us? Or do you think there are right and wrong ways of supporting that cause? Um, yeah, I think cancel culture is pretty toxic um, because it it puts a major responsibility on on a one figure to to know everything, to be informed about everything, to be as inclusive as possible. And when they slip up a little bit, whether you know currently or from past um, tweets or whatever, obviously some things you can't excuse: racism, anti-Semitism, all of that stuff. Um, but I think you you don't. It's like it's cool to be woke now, right? We all know what woke means, and but it's, the thing is, you don't arrive at woke wokeness. It's not a destination. Do you know what I mean? People are constantly evolving, and I think it's it's unfair to expect a, a person, a celebrity, or whatever to to have all the answers. So. I think, yeah, sometimes it's really important to be like, oh, yeah, actually, I didn't know this. Okay, I'm learning about this. Okay, I didn't know. I'm learning. I'm changing. Um, that's the only way I think we're going to move forward as a society. Yeah. There was another, another oh, there's a few hand hands there. Yes. Um, yeah, so I, somebody mentioned porn earlier, and I, I was curious um, to find <laughs> out your, your opinions on porn, because obviously I would say the majority of young men these days learn about sex or discover sex from porn and there's this kind of detachment so I was wondering how do you how do we reach those young men and sort of show them that sex is also about female pleasure and you know to help them not be so detached I guess Mm. you're making such a good point I love it (laughs) Um, I was having a conversation with a woman who didn't grow up during the porn era and she had sex with someone who was in the porn era, a guy, and she oh was shocked. She just couldn't believe how her body was being handled um, from this person who had received their education through porn in comparison to the men that she had been um, having relationships with or having sex with um, who had just learnt from communication and being with women's bodies. Um So in answer to your question, I feel that whilst the porn industry is immersed in a lot of crazy stuff, there are um, new porn directors um, who are coming out and uh, creating a lot more beautiful, um, more sensual, real porn, such as Erica Lust is a really good one. Um, And I feel in terms of allowing this to, I mean, the porn industry is is completely... um, well, it's rife throughout society. I think it comes back to the education that we were talking about, again, that comes in at school level. Because young adults are learning about, or teenagers or even children are learning about sex through what they're seeing in the media, what they're seeing um, their peers doing. And so if we can start to have more... um, influential and inspiring people coming into perhaps the education system um, to teach people about women's pleasure, not just women's pleasure, but how to actually connect with another human being. Um, That could be supportive. Um, 
because otherwise where are people learning they're learning from their experiences and they're learning from what they're seeing so it, it needs to shift at a very young age I believe yeah I think also women have to be quite vocal as well um in terms of what works for them mm-hmm. and also like the whole faking orgasms thing you're giving men the idea that what they're doing is pleasurable it's good it works for you which gives them license to keep doing what they're doing with other women so I think we have to be honest as well Mm, never fake the orgasm yeah. reassuringly <laughs> yeah. um, sex education is changing in terms of school so they, they have had um, new curriculum for sex education to try and manage this specifically um, where they're bringing in topics about porn and about consent which wasn't there before it's by no means where it needs to be 100% it's not there yet but it's at least a step it's better than just watching like a Johnny Condom video <laughs> I, I, I remember I had to watch a video about a, a rabbit and that <laughs> That was my sex education, oh so it, it's coming, uh, you know, along, but it's, it'll get there, hopefully. And do you think that, because I think who's actually giving the education matters too, because when yeah. I was getting sex education at school, I don't even remember that, and I'm pretty sure it was a supply teacher who, and I thought, are you, are you bonking at the moment? Are you having sex at the moment? <laughs> and um, if I, when I was younger, had somebody who walked in, who was clearly very empowered in their sexuality, who was in inspiring I probably would have looked and thought that's somebody that I want to listen to and I would probably have made much less mistakes around boundaries um, and all of the other crap that I got myself into in my early years if I'd had someone who was aspirational to look up to coming into my school and saying hey this is how you should hold yourself during sex maybe you should put yourself forward (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) we've got a hand in the middle Hello. Um, I was really fortunate to work on a sex education series for a well-known broadcast that I will not mention. We basically took a a group of young people aged 14 and 15 to Holland, where they learned sex education the Dutch way. And the difference between cultures and the education was profound. And talking about relationships from the age of like three and four when you're in a, a Dutch school is so beautiful and they're asked you know what color is love to you and this series which I really encourage you all watching is called Mimi on a Mission Sex Education and basically they talk about topics of porn porn for entertainment I will put my hand up and say I have googled porn for couples as a way of asking my own boyfriend what porn do you like to watch and I would never have asked that question had I not made this program and so suddenly I went from learning one year of of sex education in an hour from like 20 years ago to having a really fast forward education as to, you know, it's about topic, it's about really opening and engaging with your partner and your friends and the people around you. And basically I would really like to ask the panel, if you could change the curriculum of sex education, what would you like to see on it for the future? That's a good question. I would, I would like to, um, in Holland, yeah. Yeah, they're only talking uh, about the dangers of sex, um, and I would love to that they, that they would talk about more like pleasure, and it's so much fun, because I was super scared when I was in class. Like, well, I can get pregnant, I can get yeah, SLDs, STIs, yeah, 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 yeah. So as it's in Dutch, and yeah, yeah, I would love if the teachers will say, well, it's so or it can be so much fun, and yeah, more about the pleasure side. I yeah. think for me, it would be probably less judgment. Obviously, I come from a Muslim background and sex is something we never talk about. It's something that's meant to be enjoyed between a man and a wife. But, you know, <laughs> Muslims are going to have sex before marriage if they want to. That's going to happen. So, 
you know growing up if if we if, if we had lessons where there was a a safe space for us to discuss our concerns um issues that we, you know things that we want to know about in a judgment-free space that's what i would have liked in an ideal world um but i think the the fear was always if if they teach us about sex we might go and have sex so they just never did um so yeah i think a judgment-free space would be you know what i would like and more gender diversity like there's only talking about you can be uh, hetero and oh yeah hmm, maybe lesbian or a gay or, or gay yeah <laughs> and uh but yeah so it's it's not like they should talk about more about lbtq cures i i, I would say that and uh that is that that's also normal i think um contraception choice is a massive one for for that i think um at the, you know currently the main thing taught is about condoms and that's because it's the only thing that can protect you against sdi so i can understand why they'd focus on that but it doesn't uh it doesn't eliminate mean that all options should be eliminated it, you know it, it should just be one off the options that people can can discuss so i think it's really important to get those options out there but I also think it's important to discuss um, terminations because that doesn't really get covered either. And it's, it's something, I, you know, I, I see a lot of people that come in who, who need terminations and pregnancies, but don't really understand what it involves, what it's going to mean for them or their bodies. And I think we need to, you know, we need to understand the consequences of, of sex as well, you know, the fun bits as well as the, the not fun yeah, bits, course, you know. Yeah, and I, I think... Um, you know, a lot of the people that do come in pregnant who don't want the pregnancies are often very young women and they're scared and they have no idea what's going on. And I think it's really important just to do some groundwork there with with, with kids. And Grace? Mm, um, a few things. Um, I guess what I would like to see is people really being able to tune into their bodies and understand when they're a yes and when they're a no and when they're a maybe and learning how to communicate that. So um, learning about boundaries, how to set up safe space to explore with somebody and having conversations around that. Um, So I think more the relational side of sex and learning that sex isn't just, you know, Um, the physical aspect but it goes beyond that so learning about how to connect with somebody through sex would be what I would like to add at the time of recording this I think it was yesterday or the day before we um, saw a post that um, Gina Martin Mm. who um, some of you will be familiar with um, posted on her Instagram and she was actually discussing the language um, around women's choices so as as you said Grace about when when the, a yes and when there are no and how when it's related to a woman um how the language can be seen quite negatively so um a yes might make her a slut and a no might mean that she's friend zoning someone right and it's kind of uh the way it's, it was just was a really interesting point in terms of the way that we view women's choices mm-hmm. and how they have to be sort of termed and framed as such in such a negative way um when actually it's if it's an empowered choice then it's a positive whatever that choice may be and actually i think that 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 then puts the responsibility on all of us to to question everything that we're saying and everything that we're doing we talked about this in our in the, the previous episode we um you don't necessarily realizing you're perpetuating those problems or making people feel like something is taboo because it's just the language that you've always used I think. And mm-hmm. so like the idea of in this post friend zone, the word, the term friend zone actually being something that might uh, have that negative connotation and make a woman feel negative about her choice is just something that was never 
like in my lexicon or or idea. And I think maybe uh, as well as education, do you think the responsibility lies, who do you think the responsibility lies with beyond that? Is it society as a whole? Do we need to, is it specifically men? Do you think, how do you think we address that imbalance then um, in the language that we're using and the way we see that? I listened to this great um, TED talk called uh, something like how to teach your girl to be brave. It's something something like that. And it's essentially showing that from a very, very young age, we we teach boys to be brave and girls to be perfect or girls to be good. And so, you know, a girl hangs upside down on a a climbing frame. You're like, oh, no, be a good girl. Come down. Boy does it. You're like, oh, wow, that was really brave. But, you know, come down. And I think our language. (laughs) Well, either way, come down. Either way, come down. But, you know, one's often brave. You know, I think the language we, we speak to children with from such an early age really does influence everything and I think that kind of influences that as well you know how how we expect our children to grow up as a as a, as a woman and and what that what that's going to mean you know if they say no friend zoning if they say yes you know slut or whatever but I, I think I think those things get ingrained in us so early on and I think it's really up to you know our generations who are having children now or you know will be having children to try and turn that on their heads a little bit and and change change that so everyone can be brave. I, I actually wanted to ask because we talked a lot about um, the way men can respond when you're when you're um, saying this stuff online and, and the way that that can make you feel um, maybe like you don't want to talk about it. Is there something in the way that um, women respond to um, these conversations that women are having as well that maybe perpetuates the problem as well? Because we've sort of focused on like the what, what men are doing and what, why men are causing this issue yeah. is there another side to it that's the way that women look yeah at it? i think women are angry i think i'm really angry and like <laughs> when i write it really comes across you can tell <laughs> you can tell and sometimes it, it puts me in a in a you know crap position because it alienates my male readers so they're like oh this feminist bitch again do you know what i mean <laughs> so that that's stopping me from appealing to a, a, a large demographic um i think our anger is justified do you know what i mean we've got so many things to be angry about yeah. but um i think it should be handled in a way that sort of still educates men but still invites them in a little bit and I think one of the ways I'm trying to do that is write about the male perspective as well like recently I've started writing about um incels um which are involuntarily celibate men and I've joined like reddit and stuff and I've, I've actually spoken to some of them and you know not all of them are like misogynist murderers there's a huge spectrum of them and some of them were just telling me that they're lonely and they don't know how to talk to women and they just, you know, they they go to work, they come home, they don't interact with anybody. And I think loneliness is a huge problem and men feel it, women feel it. It's a universal thing. And so speaking to them, writing about them, I've got, um, you know, men emailing me and like DMing me on Twitter being like, you know what, this coming from a woman, I feel validated, I feel seen, um, which, which is it's a good feeling to know that you know the people that I'm normally like you know attacking in my writing suddenly are um listening and reacting to my writing um having said that I don't think that you should put aside your feminism and just stick up for men's rights suddenly I think it should be a balance a balancing act um speak up for women's rights when it's you know necessary 
um, speak up for men's rights when 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 the conversation you know, calls it. We're probably in a little bubble where we're in that kind of empowered women, empower women type bubble. You know, it's the the common saying. But I'm sure there are lots of other people out there that don't feel the same, that don't feel like they want to support other women in that way, though. So I I do think that yeah, it probably isn't just a male female thing. There will be a female female thing as well, in the same way that there'll be a male male issue. But um, I think we're probably all exposed to a certain group of females, or you know. Uh, yeah other women that maybe we feel more supported by but there will be people out there that aren't going to be like that yeah I agree when um when I was at school and that was a while ago when I was slut shamed I was fairly bullied for being a slut that was by women none of the boys got involved in that that was by women and um so I think that whilst we're talking about men here Women also need to get on board and you're so right, we're in a beautiful bubble here where women are supporting women and we're all raising each other up. But then I think the majority of the population, maybe not the majority, but there are a lot of women who are still um, seeing other women as threats. Um, And so when we see another woman rising up, that is a threat to us and then that's a trigger and then we we can reach out and attack. Um, And so... I believe that, yeah, women are also responsible for for this as well as men. Um, And sometimes women can be more nasty and it can be more um, hurtful coming from another woman. It's funny that I'm writing a book about... um um about how women are judging each other. They, I, I know that many women don't like me because they see me as a free woman. Hmm. And um, I know that they don't like that. So when I'm... Okay, now I'm like packed up in this suit, but sometimes I'm like uh, wearing... No, no, oh, uh, almost, not, no <laughs> almost nothing. <laughs> but like s- sexy things or what people think is sexy, many people. And... Um, I know that, yeah, women don't like that. Or when I'm having a lot of sex with before my girlfriend, they're like, hmm. And it's never good enough. So they're always judging me. Mm. When you're um, saying about another woman, oh, she's a slut. You say AKA because I'm not. Oh, she's too thin, AKA I'm not. So you're always saying something about another woman. Mm. And I, I think it really has to do with yourself. So mm. judging another person, I think it's, your relation with how you judge yourself like a mirror right? yeah Yeah, like a mirror yeah Yeah. because when i was 15 or 16 i was also judging women way more than now because i was way more insecure and my best friend she was so beautiful like the most beautiful woman ever i i thought and she was posting pictures of herself in her bikini on on our facebook at that time and i was like whoa that's so weird with all the girls and we were like judging her but because we were jealous because she was so pretty and all the boys were in love with her so it has all to do with yourself I really think that just on that don't you think that's a lot to do with society and then men pitting women against each other like Sarah Silverman said this famous thing where she said um you know she always used to get asked to perform at comedy shows and the the sort of like pitch was like you'll be the only woman up there and she was like I don't want to be the only woman up there I want to be with other women and it's always this kind of competitive thing it's really good that you're saying this because that's I hope that the message of this book will be we're not we're not, uh, how do I say it? We're we're not like this way. Society made us this way. We're not like bitches and mean girls and a stereotype of things. But if you put all the uh, women in a man's world, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. So it's not our, our fault. Uh, not our fault. Yeah. So I really agree. I hope, the, because many, when I 
uh, tell people about this book, they're like, yeah, women can be really bitches. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, but this is not the point of the book. But then I suppose yeah, if, yeah. If, it's, if it's society's fault, and I get like society maybe have been built by men for men and it, and it makes that life easier for men because it gives that privilege. Um, and th that's, I believe that's true. That, but is that going to help us come to like the, the, the women, women are still then saying those things to other women. So those things are still being said and those things are still being projected regardless of where that came from. And so in terms of moving forward or how we get past that, because we can talk about the fact that society is set up and is difficult and, and like is favors men all the time. But then what's the how do we take that and move forward from that without just saying, oh, well, it's because of society. Like what's the, the next step or what's the progressive way to move towards fixing that yeah i think um this is quite optimistic but i think we've started to move away from it already especially on like social media and stuff um where these conversations are happening um um i don't know if you guys watch love island but over the summer <laughs> do you remember when lucy she was like um i don't hang out with girls they're just like drama i like male company and then like the whole of twitter like you know we're just like oh my god never trust a girl who only hangs out with other guys because 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 yeah because yeah, the idea is like she's the cool girl because she's not like other other women other women are catty other women are bitchy other women are this you know so she's better than that um and i think as soon as she said that people jumped on it quite quickly um i think which shows a willingness to move away from um i don't know from that kind of mm. yeah. mentality mm. yeah, when so, i was yeah, younger i was always saying yeah i'm one of the guys and that's so weird to say because the thing i was saying was like yeah yeah they think i'm cool enough to be with the guys yeah. mm. and you're saying because i don't want to be with the girls so yeah <laughs> yeah so uh we're gonna have to start to wrap up unfortunately but um I, I guess we we kind of we always come to this point and we want a bit of a closing statement or a thought on on the the, the point of can we just ask like we said at the start is to try and inspire positive change and i think we've talked a lot about things that we can do and things that we think we want to do but from i guess from each of your points of view we've established that yes women are paying for their sex in in a number of different ways and, and, and a lot of different avenues but what do you think are the most important uh, steps to take moving forward what are the most important things for individuals to focus on and and what can we actually do to create some sort of change not we may not going to change the whole thing overnight but like what are the most important things to you that individuals can do I think by having real honest conversations that are authentic and that can be quite vulnerable um, and beginning to speak up about these subjects. So when you're educating yourself, such as everybody here, you're hearing information and um, being able to go out and start to communicate that and to have conversations with friends, with family members, you don't need to shove it down their throat, but you're simply being um, somebody who's almost shining a light for this information. I feel like starting at those very simple places, we don't have to change the world, but we can just have conversations um, that support other people to see things in a new way. Um, I think as well, recognize your privilege and intersections as well. There's going to be certain things that don't affect you. Um, you know, gender might be one thing, but there might also be sexuality or religion um race race stuff like that for example like we're talking about contraception and stuff and like the medical field you know one thing we didn't mention is black women are perceived to be able to endure more pain 
um, and they're constantly misdiagnosed, stuff like that. I'm not a black woman. It doesn't affect me, but it's something that I should care about. It's something that I should speak about. So recognize other intersections of feminism and um, learn about it, talk about it. Um, for me, it's uh, it's knowing that you guys can feel comfortable coming to see me. Obviously, you're not all going to come see me. <laughs> you're welcome to register at my practice, but um, coming to see your doctor. And, know, and if you don't feel comfortable with that doctor, don't feel like you're stuck. I would love you to just find another one, chat to another one until you feel open and happy enough to have these conversations and to open up to them about your, your, your problems or in terms of sexual health or contraception, anything that's, you know, your sticking point. Um, I think it's really important to be able to find somebody that you trust um, and never feel like you can't find someone else. Don't try and offend that doctor. You know, it's not about offending that doctor. That doctor is there to help you. And if you're not being helped, you need to find a new one. Yeah, I want to say something about microactivism, but you you already said something like that, right? Right? I didn't say that word. Oh, yeah, I didn't. I I feel that word when you were saying that. Oh, yeah, so you can do... Yeah, I think what, what you said, I agree with all of that. And what you said, and you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I wanted bump. to say something like uh, this and this and this, and then it was like, oh, okay, I don't can add something to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I wish so, I went last now, that would be yeah. easier. What do you mean by microactivism? What's the what a specific? Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> uh, some of my friends are, or people that I speak with, they're like, okay, but what can I do? Because you're a journalist and you get a sum of attention. What can I do? And then I'm always like, hmm, maybe when you were with friends. And um, yesterday, a female, uh, a male friend of mine asked uh, to me, asked me uh, about this. And I said, okay, when you're with friends in a pub and uh, or in a bar, and someone is saying, oh yeah, I uh, like, uh, I, you know, she's such a, such a slut or something like that. You can say, oh. Uh, why is she a slut or just those small and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's harder to uh, say it in a like a private um sphere private setting setting, yeah yeah yeah. uh and uh sometimes harder but that's what everyone can do because not everyone has the privilege to speak out at so many things but yeah yeah and presumably saying things like that from a non-judgmental place, like letting yeah. people really yeah, question asking, the things. Yeah. Not, the not saying, well, you should never call anyone yeah. a slutty more because then our, people are feeling like, oh my God, mm-hmm. just ask the question. And what you were saying, acknowledging your privilege. And that's, yeah, not against men, but many men are not good in that. Great. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, big round of applause for our panelists. panelists. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of the can we just ask podcast we really hope you enjoyed the conversation and if you've got any questions or want to continue that discussion please do get in touch with us at can we just ask on social media you can also sign up to our newsletter where we send out reading lists and more info on our panelists and our future events And speaking of future events, we only have one more live panel discussion left of this series of the podcast. It's on the 20th of November, and it's called Can Anyone Be an Activist? So it's going to be a really interesting conversation, and we really hope to see some of you there. The ticket price is just £6, all inclusive, and all of that money will go to the Mix charity, our charity partner. You can find the last few tickets for that event on our website, canwedisask.co, where you can also sign up to the prior said newsletter. But if we don't see you there, we do hope that you continue to enjoy our conversations through the podcast and we'll see you soon.